0: I'm excited about what God's doing in me. How about you? Are you excited about what God's doing in you? If not, I hope that before we're done, you get it. Amen. Well, I uh, took another break from uh, Genesis. I hope that's all right. We tonight's message is going to be as much of a confession as it is a message of exhortation to what we need to be about. Can I get an amen? I am a title tonight's message: the necessity of prayer. And if you would, turn with me to Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. And actually, I'll go ahead and we can start from verse 5 and get context. Jesus is teaching his disciples, and if you read Luke chapter 11, you'll understand that Jesus was off at this point by himself praying, right? I want you to hold your thumb in, in uh, Matthew 6, and I'm going to make you turn to Luke, okay? Luke chapter 11, verse 1, just for context, because we understand the Bible as a whole, not by itself, can I get an amen? Verse 1, and it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And this is where he begins, verse 2, and he said unto them, When ye pray, Say, our Father, which is in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth, thy will be done as in heaven, so in the earth. Now, the reason that I read that portion, just verse 1 and 2, before we read Matthew, if you read Matthew, what you'll think is that the Sermon on the Mount is one continuous sermon and it is not okay Matthew wrote it that way but Matthew was only giving you everything you needed to believe Jesus is the king amen so he gives you all of Jesus's doctrine in three chapters 5 6 and 7 that you Jesus covers in chapter 5 he covers uh let's let's see the beatitudes you are the salt of the earth, uh, not murdering your brother, uh, you know, thinking about your, uh, if you ha- if you hate your brother without cause, you are a murderer. Uh, verse 27, you've heard it said of them of old, thou shalt not commit adultery, but he tells them if you even look at a woman to lust after her, you have committed adultery in your heart. Then he teaches on adultery, then he teaches on oaths, then he teaches on forgiveness, then he teaches... On loving your enemies and going into chapter 6 he teaches on giving and here at verse 5 he begins teaching on prayer but this is all Matthew wrote this out so that we can have all of Jesus teaching all at once okay Matthew keeps writing through chapter 6 and into chapter 7 and he ends chapter 7 with the very familiar uh, story he says if anyone hears these words of mine and does them i will liken him unto a man who built his house upon a rock for when the winds came and the waves beat upon that rock the house did not fall amen and what he's what matthew did while tying all this together he ended with that saying of Jesus because that's how he wanted you to understand all of Jesus' teaching. And then he summed it up. If you believe these things and do them, Christ is going to liken you unto a man that's wise and build his house upon the rock. And in the midst of this is where we pick up. But we understand the context of what was going on before he teaches about prayer from Luke. Jesus was by himself off praying. And his disciples came to him when he was done and said, teach us to pray. We're going to pick up in Matthew chapter 6, starting at verse 5. He says, and when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. Verse 6, but thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy father which is in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathens do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. But be not ye therefore likened unto them, For your father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask of him. After this manner, therefore, pray ye. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts. As we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation. But deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom. The power. And the glory. Forever. Amen. In reading this prayer. I know that most of us have heard a million teachings on the Lord's Prayer. And I'm not here to uh, really expound on this. In great depth, but I want to point out a couple things that you might not have been told before, that might not have crossed your radar before. Uh, Number one, prayer is of the utmost worship to God. In the Old Testament, who you prayed to was who you worshiped. There is no difference than going to the, the, the Asherah pole and making sacrifices and offering prayers. Because prayers, even in the book of Revelation, it says that the prayers of the saints go up before God through the incense from the, that's in front of the altar. And those are the prayers of the saints that go up before God day and night. Why? Because prayer is worship. Prayer is sacrifice and honor to God. And what you pray to determines, or who you pray to determines who you worship. Therefore, the lack of prayer shows a lack of devotion. Therefore, the neglecting of prayer is a neglecting of your duty to the Almighty. Number two, God's name is what is to be hallowed. So often our prayer lives revolve around me. And it's not, God wants you to bring your prayers to him. Amen? God wants you to come with your hurts. Jesus said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest.
1: Come and learn
0: from me, for I am meek my yoke is light take my yoke upon you learn of me but before we do that we must honor the one to whom we are bringing petition this is all me okay I'm not write any notes for this part okay so just bear with me number two or three, excuse me. I don't know how to count either. Number three: Thy kingdom come. We got to understand, as a church, we're not praying to build our kingdom. We're not. We're not even praying to to build our family's kingdom. We're not even praying to build. Uh, Our own personal kingdom because the reality of prayer is the most humbling and the most self-abasing thing is because you are declaring your absolute need for God. In the book of the Sovereignty of God and Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God by J.I. Packer, he says everyone believes God's sovereign. They might not say they do, but when they pray, it shows that they believe God is sovereign. Or else they would not pray things like this. God, change my brother's heart. God, save my family. Keep them from evil. You have to believe that God is sovereign if you think that he can intervene in the midst of somebody's free will. Or else you would just pray... God, I hope they turn to you. But no one prays that way. Every single Christian around the world about their loved ones, about the lost, they do not pray, God, I hope they turn to you. They say, God, save them. Turn their heart around. Make them see the light. That's how they pray. I've never heard anybody pray anything differently. That's because deep down, every one of us understands our absolute need for God what we're doing doesn't work my way doesn't work God's way is what we want so we pray for his kingdom not only do we pray for his kingdom to come but we pray for his will to be done the Bible says that if we pray anything according to his will we know That we will have what we ask why because God's will is perfect where your will is flawed everybody hold your hand up every one of you has a will I'll even say it every one of you has a free will and it is bound to sin and it only wants what it wants It wants what self wants. It wants what the flesh wants. It wants what the world wants. And if you ain't careful and it listens to the devil, it'll want what the devil wants. Because that's what our will does without Christ, without God's help. He's telling them to pray this way because in us, Paul said this He said, In me, that is in my flesh. Dwells no good thing. And if that's true, when we come to prayer, we have to know that it cannot be our will. Because if it is, it will not be successful. If it is, it will only lead to hurt, it will only lead to destruction, it will only lead. will should be the foremost of every one of our prayers. We all have endeavors. We all got things that we want to do, things that we want to go accomplish. And all too often, even pastors, oh man, I wish this and I wish that and I want to do this and I want to do that. And if we're not praying, we'll become very discouraged that what we think is supposed to happen. It's not happening. But even the pastor must understand it's God's will, not my will. Give us this day our daily bread. Herein I want to leave you with the most important portion of prayer we're going to get to this here in a minute when I get done with this little exposition that I'm going to do. And I'm going to get into the material that I actually wrote down notes for. But prayer is meant to be communion with God every day. Not just when I'm in trouble. Not just when, when things aren't going right. Not even just, just, just when I feel good and things are going right. But all the time. The Bible tells us to pray without ceasing. Why? Because you are being inundated. The onslaught of the world, the onslaught of the devil, and can I just say the onslaught of your own flesh gets in the way enough that even if we didn't have to deal with the world, even if I didn't have to deal with the devil, my flesh, is always fighting against God. And if I do not do as Paul says, beat my body and bring it into subjection, which is absolutely the grace that comes through prayer, our bodies are being told, no, not your will. No, not your desires. No, not yours. But God. This also tells us that we have an absolute dependency upon God because Jesus tells us how to pray. He teaches them and said, give us today our daily bread. Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow, worry about itself. Sufficient for the day. are the troubles thereof? Sufficient for the day. God's grace given to you in prayer is for right then that day. We need to pray. Verse 12 forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. This is not a formula to show you. Oh, if you don't get if you don't forgive, you're not going to get forgiven, even though that's what he says at the end. Because God's grace in salvation is not dependent upon you. So what he's saying is you must walk in the same grace that I've given you. He told his disciples, freely you have received. Freely give. Don't withhold forgiveness to somebody even, look, The problem is what happens is we go to God and get grace and mercy even though we don't deserve it. But when other people sin against us, what we end up doing is going, no, they don't deserve it. They don't deserve it. That's when you need to give it. That's when you need to give it. Right then is the moment where a Christian heart says, I don't care that they don't deserve it. I don't care that that they've harmed me and done wrong because we all were enemies of God. We hated God, but God demonstrated his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Finally, he says this, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now this phrase right here, God has promised in the Word that He will not tempt us any farther than we can bear, but that He'll give us a way of escape. Right? And here we see this Jesus preaching to these men and saying, Pray that God will deliver you from temptation. Notice. When Peter betrayed, was about to betray Christ, Jesus told him, Peter, Satan has asked to send you like we. But don't worry, I prayed for you. We need to pray every day for every one of these graces. To be a part of our life. Even this last one that says. Deliver us. From evil. He says. For thine is the kingdom. The power. And the glory forever. And ever. Amen. Now that's just. Pastor Kevin's exegesis of that right out of the scripture right off the cuff. I didn't write any notes for that I only have a couple notes and they're all from other people but I want to point out a couple more things here when we begin reading this we began at verse 5 and you can see at verse 5 and 6 Jesus saying when you pray when you pray, Amen. Verse seven, he says, "Uh ah, oh, I lost my place. Sorry, I lost my place real bad." Turn it back. There we go. Verse seven, he says, "But when you pray, same thing." And here Jesus is setting an expectation. He's not giving you a if you get around to praying. He's not telling you if you feel like it. If, if things get really bad, then you you ought to do this. He said, but when you pray, the expectation of Christ is that you pray. Amen? The expectation of Christ is that those who follow him follow his example. Jesus had a prayer life. He prayed all the time he was all the time throughout scripture you can read he separated himself and and went off into a mountain to pray one portion of scripture says that it was jesus's custom to pray i just got one quick question if the savior of the entire world god in the flesh Felt it necessary to pray. Why do we think we don't need to? Why do we think somehow. That we can get by. Without praying. Jesus' expectation. Is not if. But when. And I capitalized it. W-H-E-N. When. Hey, can you go grab me one of those 1689s real quick? I forgot to grab myself one. I want to read a portion out of the London Baptist Confession and talking about the church because this is the context in which we set. Amen. The context in which we set is the church. So I'm going to be reading from the 22nd chapter, of the Second London Baptist Confession. The title of this chapter is Of Religious Worship and the Sabbath Day. Paragraph 3 says this, Prayer with thanksgiving being one part of natural worship is by God required of all men, but that they may be accepted It is to be made in the name of the Son by the help of the Spirit according to his will with understanding, reverence, humility, fervency, faith, love, perseverance when with others in a knowledge or known tongue. Paragraph 4 Prayer is to be made. For things lawful and for all sorts of men living or that shall live hereafter. But not for the dead nor for those of whom it may be known that they have sinned the sin unto death. Now we don't know what the sin unto death is other than denying Christ. The reason that I wanted to read this. Is because if you read that, the the third chapter there, and you're not challenged in your own prayer life and in how you have sought God or the lack thereof for which you have sought God, I think there is something wrong. I'm going to try to get back to it. The part that gets me is this. But that it may be accepted, it is to be made in the name of the Son, by help of the Spirit, according to His will, with understanding, reverence, humility. And a few last words here that I want you to remember. Fervency. Faith. Love. Perseverance. The church today has no idea what it means to persevere in prayer, to pray with fervency and urgency. We don't do it. We say our little 25-second prayer and we, we, we move on to the next part of service and we say our little 25-second prayer at dinner time. We say our little 25-second prayer at bedtime, but we're really not spending time with God All we're doing is checking a box off and saying, God, look, I prayed, God. And all the while, God's going, yeah, but I want a relationship with you. Luke chapter 11 tells us Jesus prayed. And it again gives us that understanding that he expects us to pray because he says again in Luke Chapter 11, verse 2, when you pray. John Calvin in chapter 20 of the Institutes of Christian Religion starts with this title. This is the title which he starts the whole chapter 20 with in the Institutes of Christian Religion. Prayer, the chief exercise of faith by which we daily receive God's benefits. So many Christians today are, oh, I wonder why my faith is weak. Well, what does the Bible say about your faith? How do you build yourself up in your most, most holy faith? Praying in the Holy Ghost. Praying. Amen? Why do we have such a mealy mouth? Sissified church today Why? Because we don't know What it means to pray Calvin notes That a man is devoid Of any good in himself And must seek salvation Outside of himself Because there's nothing In him that can cause Him to be saved so he has to Look outside himself to another Place namely Christ And that looking to Christ does not stop at salvation. It is just the beginning. Calvin says that prayer, now being in Christ, we open the treasuries, or the treasuries of heaven are open to us. Prayer enables us, Calvin says, to explore the riches treasured up with our heavenly Father. When we pray, Calvin says we must not be boastful or self-confident. We must be humble and abase ourselves. And he uses the phrase "throw" or "or" or uh, uh, "how does he put it?" Cast our self-confidence down, because prayer is literally admitting to God that I need you, that I cannot do this. I don't know what direction to go. I, can't, I don't have the strength to do this. I don't have the understanding that I need to be successful. I don't have the ability. I don't have... Are you getting it? This is what prayer is. Otherwise, we would have no need of it. But because we realize our need for God, the need for prayer should be burning in the heart. Of every believer. Not just for your needs. But here's the thing. Do you know the will of God for your life? Every second of every day? No. So you need to go to God. Do you see the kingdom of God being established in your life? Every day. If not, then you need. And like all of us, you need to go to God. See that this is established. Do you have all of your needs met every day, or are there still things that you struggle with day, today, today, physically, financially, emotionally? If so, then you still need God, and you still need your daily bread. Is there still sin and temptation? That's lurking at the door, just like it was, uh, oh my gosh, for Cain. When there's still sins and problems and struggles that your flesh are, are, are wrestling with. Then you need to be praying that God would deliver you from evil. Spurgeon calls prayer the proof of godliness. The proof of godliness. I thought, what is he talking about? Oh, oh, now he's just like, oh, somehow this is a, a new evidence of godliness. But he's right. Because if we follow Christ and seek to be godly outside of prayer, it will not happen. Amen. I want to read to you a little excerpt. Which one am I starting with? I don't remember. Oh, okay. This little book here, Spurgeon on the Priority of Prayer, is compiled by Jason Allen. And on page 78, he says something. This is Spurgeon speaking, not, not not Jason Allen. This is Spurgeon speaking. In the last chapter, The universal mark of godliness. When a man is beginning to be godly, this is the first sign of the change that has been wrought in him. Prayer is the mark of godliness in its infancy. Until he comes to pleading and petitioning, we cannot be sure that the divine life is in him at all. There may be desires, but if they never turn to prayers, we may fear that they are mourning, they are as the morning cloud which soon passes away. How true that statement is. Because there's many that profess to love God and want to spend time with God, but are they doing it? In the introduction of this same book, I want to read to you, Jason Allen is writing on Spurgeon's life. After his birth, Charles Spurgeon, uh, 200 years after his birth, Charles Spurgeon stands, still stands as an icon on the evangelical landscape. His renown proven global. His renown has proven global in reach and constant in endurance. Christians everywhere everywhere still speak of Spurgeon. Most who are familiar with his church know at least the broad contours of his life and ministry. Spurgeon was born in 1834 and lived and ministered in London, England until his death in 1892. By age 19, he was pastoring the largest church in London and was well on his way to accru- accuring, excuse me a global reputation for influence. Known as the Prince of Preachers, Spurgeon and his hero, George Whitfield are commonly regarded as the two greatest preachers of the English language. The theologian Carl F. Henry was right when he described Spurgeon as one of evangelical Christianity's immortals. But what made Spurgeon so powerful, or oh preacher? What made the Metropolitan Tabernacle such a dynamic church? On both counts, Spurgeon cited prayer as a secret to their source, or the secret to their success, excuse me. Spurgeon pointed to prayer as the empowerment of his ministry and of his church. Every Monday night, congregants gathered in the auditorium for prayer meeting, which, according to Spurgeon, was the secret of the church's power. Similarly, on Sundays, while Spurgeon preached at the Metropolitan Tabernacle Basement, It teemed with church members praying for the worship service and praying for the preaching of the word of God and the conversion of sinners and for Spurgeon himself. Spurgeon occasionally took church visitors to the basement and would declare, here is the powerhouse of the church. Not only was Spurgeon buoyed by the prayers of others, he was devout to prayer himself. After his first trip to London, the famed American evangelical, evangelist, excuse me, D. L. Moody was asked if he had the privilege of hearing Spurgeon preach. Moody responded yes, but better still, I heard him pray. Though he was known as the Prince of Preachers, prayers what catalyzed his spiritual fervency and his ministerial impact. And it is prayer which will catalyze yours as well. I'm telling you, church. Prayer, prayer, prayer. We don't pray, not like we should. I know we pray. I pray over my dinner. I pray with my family in the morning. I pray with my family at night. I pray over. I, I pray when I read the Bible. I pray when I'm studying. I want to read to you what Spurgeon said of pastors and how they should pray. This is from Spurgeon's lectures to his students. Spurgeon went on to be a teacher and open a school for pastors. This is lecture three, the the preacher's private prayer. Of course, the preacher is above all others distinguished as a man of prayer. He prays as an ordinary Christian; else, he would be a hypocrite. He prays more than ordinary Christians; else, he were disqualified for the office which he has undertaken. It would be whole—excuse me—it would be wholly monstrous, says Bernard, for a man to be in the highest office and of the lowest in spirit. For in station, uh, first in station and last in life, over all other relationships, the primacy and the preeminence of the pastor's responsibility casts a halo. And if true to his master, he becomes distinguished for his prayerfulness in them all. As a citizen, his country has the advantage of his intercession. As a neighbor, those under his shadow are remembered in his supplications. He prays as a husband and as a father. He strives to make his family devotion a model for his flock. And if the fire on the altar of God should burn low anywhere else, it is well tended in the house of the Lord's chosen servant. For he's taken care. That morning and evening sacrifice shall sanctify his dwelling. But there are some in his prayers which concern his office. And to those our plan, excuse me. And to those our plan in these, some of his prayers which concern his office. And of those our plan is of these lectures lead us to speak of most. He offers particular supplication as a minister. And he draws near to God in respect over and above all his approaches in all his other relationships. When I read that, I was challenged. And I stand here tonight. And I tell you, I have to repent. I have to confess I have not been the model of devout prayer. I have not modeled devoted prayer enough. Nor in private been as faithful as I ought to. I have not led in gathered worship the prayers of the saints enough. Nor has my heart and my mind always grasped the desire and the need that I should have in prayer for all of you. For this I publicly repent and ask your forgiveness as well as that of Almighty God to whom I will give an account. I have seen my need for more, more devoted prayer and wholehearted supplication. And I ask any of you, if there's any like me, who have need of this grace and this mercy in this matter. If so, join me from this point forward in more earnest and often prayer, in praying in secret. Praying with your family in devotion and praying with others in the church and praying for others in the church and praying for the church and praying for these pastors and me. But most of all for praying for the lost that they would respond to the gospel. My heart tonight Has been wounded by Scripture, challenged by voices from the past, convicted by the Spirit of God to this end. As I said before church started, before you guys got here said it last night while we were here no church no church is going to grow and be effective until every part every part of the body is doing its part and about the father's business let's pray Father God, we come to you tonight. At least I do. Broken, wounded, convicted, repentant. Asking for mercy and grace for not being as faithful as I should. Not being as out front and leading in this area of church worship, as I should. But God, I do not come before you tonight in unbelief, but in faith that you have heard our prayer. That this very message came right from your finger, right from your throne room, right from the voice of the Holy Spirit pinned into my heart. God, I ask that you would make of me a clean vessel and that you would stir the life in me such a desire to pray that would see mountains moved. God, that you would stir in me a desire to pray that would see my flesh abased, that would see my will be thrown down, that would see my kingdom destroyed. God, we lift up your name. We lift up the name of Jesus Christ and we come to you boldly before the throne of grace tonight that we might receive grace and mercy in our hour of need. God, I pray that you would give us hearts that long to pray, that you would give us a resolute, and determined spirit that would see the necessity to pray, that would see the vital importance of prayer. And God, we pray as your son taught us to, that your kingdom would come, that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven, Lord, that you would give us today what we need for today. That you would forgive us where we have failed you, God, and help us as we forgive others. God, I pray that you would keep us from temptation. Give us that way of escape. Lord, I pray that the church Whether they're here tonight or whether they're watching on Facebook, whether they listen to this podcast, God, that they hear the sincerity of my voice. That I'm not doing this to make a mockery, to make a show. God, that that we need you more than we ever have needed you. The world is truly dark, truly, truly lost, God. And we have been under the weight and onslaught of our enemy, of the world, and of our flesh. And the only hope that we have does not lie in us. It lies in you. It lies in the very answer that you have given us in your son, Jesus Christ, who has all power and all authority, who's been given the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. The Father. Lord, we ask for your grace tonight. We plead for your mercy. We ask like your disciples did. Teach us to pray. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.